Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. We're glad you've joined us, and we look forward to spending time again in the Word of God together. We also invite you to stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast for information about additional studies and resources. Thanks again for being with us. Throughout Holy Red, Jesus is seen in two distinct lights. He's both the Lion and the Lamb. While these are seemingly contrary, we'll learn today that these two descriptions help us develop a more comprehensive view of the Son of God. Let's join Pastor Phil now as he explains. Now in verse 5, again, the elders said to John, one of the elders, Do not weep. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and the lucid seals. When the elders said that to John, John turns, no doubt expecting to see a lion. But in verse 6, he saw something else. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood what? A lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. In the Greek, the word lamb there is a word that means little lamb, which speaks of innocence, gentleness, and a willingness to be sacrificed. Jesus said, No man takes my life from me. I give it freely for the sheep. Jesus was the willing Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. And yet I like this this contrast the Holy Spirit presents between the lion and the lamb, both speaking of Christ. Look, the Lord Jesus Christ is both a lion and a lamb. The lion character refers to his second coming. The lamb character refers to his first coming. The lion is symbolic of his majesty. The lamb is symbolic of his meekness. As a lion, he is a sovereign. As a lamb, he is a savior. As a lion, he is a judge. As a lamb, he was judged and crucified, although he was innocent. The lion represents the government of God. The lamb represents the grace of God. At his first coming, he was a lamb. At his second coming, he's going to be a lion. And he is going to judge those on this earth who refuse to bow the knee to him as Lord and Savior. We will not have this man rule over us, the world says. Jesus says, fine. I won't force you to be my subject but I will judge you for your sin. It says he has seven horns. Well, a horn in the Scriptures denotes power. Power. Daniel 7 and 8 talk about that. A horn in Scripture is often symbolic of power. What's the number seven represent? Completeness. So what are we talking about? Complete what? Complete power. He is absolutely omnipotent. Okay? Almighty. He's not just a mighty God inferior to almighty Jehovah God, as the Jehovah's Witnesses teach and believe. He is God Almighty, because God is a trinity, a triunity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. 
Jesus Christ is the Almighty God. He has seven eyes. Again, eyes speak of knowledge, of being able to, of course, see and know. Seven, again, complete. This denotes complete knowledge, that Jesus Christ is omniscient. He knows everything. Uh, The seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent into all the earth. This is interesting. You remember how that when Jesus took on a human body... Well, he was limited to, you know, that body. I mean, as God, before he stepped into the womb of Mary and was born a, uh, a human being, as God, he was, uh, he was omnipresent. He was everywhere. God is spirit, right? And so God is spirit can be everywhere. Well, Jesus, when he took on a body of flesh, limited himself to one place at one time. Not to mention he got hungry, he got tired, he needed to sleep and so on. Now, at one point, he told his disciples, I'm going away soon, but I'm not going to leave you alone like orphans. I'm going to send another helper, the Holy Spirit. And he talked about when the Spirit came, how that they would do greater works than he did. You think, well, wait a minute. Greater works than he did? I mean, he raised the dead. I mean, he fed large numbers of people with just small amounts of food. He did spectacular miracles. How are we going to ever top that? Well, we're not going to top it. He didn't mean greater things in the sense of magnitude. He meant greater things in the sense of scope. See, when Jesus Christ was on the earth, he was limited to one place at one time. When he ascended into heaven, he poured his spirit out upon the world, and the Holy Spirit indwells every believer on the face of the earth. So now the body of Christ is spread out across the whole globe. And we, and, and where Jesus could only be in Galilee at one time or down in Jerusalem at one time, now believers can be spread across North America, South America, China, you know, Africa. We can be spread across the entire globe because the Spirit of God is in each of us. Therefore, the works that He can do through all of us are greater than He was able to do here on the earth. Not greater in magnitude, but greater in scope. And as such, the Spirit is now poured out upon the earth. And, of course, the Holy Spirit is God himself as well. And so, uh, you know, in a very real sense, Jesus, through the Spirit, is everywhere on the earth through the fact that the Spirit is here. So his eyes are everywhere. He is omniscient, able to be all places now on the earth at once because he's in heaven now and the Spirit has been poured out. But John said, I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, what? As though it had been slain. That's very important that we understand what's being said here. You know, as we read the Gospels and the post-resurrection accounts, it seems that none of the disciples of Jesus recognized him after his resurrection. Do you realize that? Mary, standing by the tomb that first resurrection Sunday morning when he appeared to her, she didn't recognize him. Now some say, well, she was crying, you know, and her eyes were probably swollen and and she just didn't didn't recognize him. That could be. We know that later on that afternoon, two disciples were walking to the town of Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. Suddenly Jesus Christ joins himself to them and they didn't recognize him. And then sometime later in John 21, as Peter and the guys went fishing all night, And early in the morning, Jesus is standing on the shore, and he talks to them, but they didn't recognize him, it says, in John 21, verse 4. 
Now, any one of these we could dismiss and just say, well, you know, this was going on or that was going on. But when you start adding up all these things together, they begin to give you a very powerful, uh, present a very powerful case that something was not right. Something was amiss. Why they did not recognize him, nobody seems to have. And then, of course, that morning, when he stood on the shore and told them to cast their nets on the other side, they did, and the nets were so full of fish they started to break, and and uh, the guys began to row the boat then to shore with this massive catch of fish, and Peter had already jumped in and swam to shore, and the Lord had uh, fish on a fire cooking, right? And in verse 12 of John 21, John says something that if you don't think, if you think I'm, I'm out there on this, this nails it for me. John says something that has haunted me ever since the first time I ever read it. John says, and nobody dared ask him, who are you, knowing it was the Lord? Why didn't they recognize him? Well, we know that after his resurrection, he bore the marks of his crucifixion. We know that because that first resurrection Sunday evening, as he appeared to them in the upper room, they were afraid at first. They thought he was a ghost. And he said, well, come and touch me. Does a ghost have flesh and bone as you see I have? And they saw the nail prints in his hands and the spear wound in his side. And, of course, the nail prints in his feet. So he bore the marks of his crucifixion after his resurrection. When he returned to heaven 40 days later, we know he still bore the marks of his crucifixion. Isaiah tells us in chapter 52, verses 13 through 15, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, talking about the Lord now, Jesus Christ. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high, just as many were astonished at you. Listen. So his visage, his appearance, was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. In other words, once he returned to heaven, he still bore the marks of his crucifixion. And it says that when he comes back, he is even going to still bear the marks of his crucifixion. Because as we read here in Isaiah... When we see him, kings are going to be shocked at what was not told them. What was not told them? Well, how badly he was beaten. In fact, in Isaiah 53, verse 3, Isaiah tells us when we, when we finally see him, initially, we're going to turn our faces away from him. I mean, he'll have no beauty that we should desire him. But we know that he was bruised for our transgressions, Isaiah 53, verse 5 says. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And finally, we know that when he returns to the earth, he is going to still be bearing the marks of his crucifixion. Because the Bible tells us in Zechariah that when he finally comes from heaven to establish his kingdom on the earth, the Jews are going to look upon him whom they have pierced and mourn. They're going to see him. We know he bore the marks of his crucifixion in heaven because John sees him as a lamb that had been slain. And when he comes back, 
he is going to still be bearing the marks of his crucifixion. Isaiah tells us more graphically than the New Testament what Jesus Christ went through. They pulled his beard out, the Roman soldiers. They beat him so badly, remember now, placing a bag over his head, hitting him with rods, punching him with clothes, fists, of course, with a bag over your head. You can't, your reflexes, you know, can't react. So you're taking the full pounding of those blows. Isaiah clumsily tries to tell us that he was bruised more than any man. The Hebrew is telling us that no man ever looked as badly as he didn't even look like a human being, is what Isaiah is trying to tell us. You say, well, how long will he bear these marks for? I don't know. Maybe forever. In Ephesians 2, verse 7, it says that in ages yet to come, he might show all of us the depth of his love and mercy and what he went through. In fact, his scars are really a testimony of his love. So he may bear those marks for all eternity. I don't know. I just want you to be prepared. The first time you, may, you see the Lord Jesus, you may be in for a great shock. So prepare yourself. But John said, I saw a lamb as though it had been slain. Verse 7. Then he came and took the scroll. What's the scroll again? The title deed to the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll out of the Father's right hand, out of the hand of him who sat on the throne. Now you have to understand, a very momentous moment has arrived. We know from Psalm 2, verses 8 and 9, the Father is saying to the Son, Ask of me, And I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Speaking of the time when Messiah would come and take charge of the earth and be its king. Psalm 110 verse 1, the Lord says though, but the Lord said to my Lord, the Father said to the Son, sit at my right hand till... I make your enemies your footstool. Well, here in Revelation 5, he's no longer sitting, he's standing. And he approaches the throne and takes the scroll out of the Father's right hand, signifying that time has come for the Son to take possession of what he has bought and paid for at Calvary. Now, before he comes and takes possession, he has to just a little unfinished business. He has got to dispossess the earth of the usurpers, primarily Satan. But all the kings of this earth, all the rulers who live in rebellion against him, he is going to judge. And that's what chapters 6 through 18 are all about. Before he comes back and takes possession of this earth and establishes his kingdom. Well, of course, he wants to take possession of what he has bought and paid for. What did he buy and pay for? Us. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Peter says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot and without blemish. Remember we talked last time about the parable of the treasure in the field? And Jesus said, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like a a man walking through a field, finding a treasure, goes out and sells everything he owns and buys the field, right? Right? And we said that the field was the world. And Jesus Christ redeemed the world. Why? Because he needed another rock spinning in the cosmos? I mean, he's got billions and billions of planets spinning in outer space. What does he need one more rock spinning in the galaxy for? He didn't care about this rock we call Earth. There was a treasure on this planet 
And to get the treasure, he had to redeem the entire world back from the hands of Satan. And that's what he's really doing here. He, is, he redeemed the world that he might have the treasure in the world, which is the church, his bride. In verse 8, John says, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and, a golden, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. You know, I love this. You know, our prayers, even though the Bible likens them to incense that ascend as a sweet-smelling aroma to the throne of God, you know our prayers don't dissipate or disintegrate into thin air. The Father, we learn here, actually collects them in heaven and puts them in golden bowls, I guess around heaven, as a little memento, as a keepsake of our time with Him. You know, you've got a special friend, right? You don't get to see this friend a lot, because maybe they live far away, but whenever they come into town, you get together. Sometimes you'll go out and spend the day together, and maybe they'll buy you a little gift, and, and you take it, and you keep it. You put it somewhere special so that every time you look at it, it reminds you of that precious time you spent with this very dear friend that you loved. That's how our prayers are to God. They remind Him of the precious time that we spend with Him in prayer. He keeps them all in heaven as a keepsake because we're special to Him. But not only that, these prayers that ascend to His throne... Do you know that they remain active? They remain active and working, in a sense. You remember when the angel appeared to Zacharias in Luke chapter 1? Zacharias was a godly old priest. And he had a godly wife named Elizabeth. And they both loved the Lord. They really did. And they, they, you know, they, they tried to live for God as best they could. A very godly couple, but they were elderly, very elderly, and they were. Uh, and Elizabeth was barren. And so one day, as uh, Zachariah is in the temple, they're ministering to the Lord. An angel appears to him and said, "Your prayer has been heard, Zachariah. Your wife Elizabeth is going to conceive, and you'll have a son by this time next year." Now, if you're Zachariah, and let's say you're in your seventies, maybe your eighties, you're thinking to yourself, "What?" I stopped praying that prayer about 40 years ago. Zachariah stopped praying that prayer maybe 40 years ago. But God took those prayers that he had prayed that those years before he stopped. And they were still kind of in God's active box, if you will. They were still, you know, they, they had ascended to God's throne. They didn't just go out of existence. They didn't just disintegrate. God was keeping them. And don't you know that anything we ask God for that's in His will is also subject to His timing. And so sometimes what we pray for today, God doesn't intend to give us until 10, 15, 20 years down the road. Sometimes we even get tired of praying and we forget about it. And all of a sudden, here comes the answer. And we actually forgot we were praying for that so many years ago. About eight years ago, the Lord laid it on my heart to begin praying something. I prayed this prayer. Every time we got together as a group and in my own private times, I would pray almost every time we got together. Lord, expand our ministry beyond the walls of our church. Expand our... And I wasn't even sure what I was actually praying for. I just wanted our ministry to expand. <laughs> Honestly, if you ask me, what exactly were you praying for? I don't really know. Uh, but I wanted God to expand our, our reach, our influence, you know. And, 
and, and expand the church beyond the walls of our building. And I prayed that fervently for a couple of years, and I don't know why I stopped. You know how you you stop praying sometimes? Maybe you get discouraged, or or maybe you just move on to other things, and you forget. And so I hadn't prayed that prayer for about three or four years. Now, during the course of that time, God opened the door for us to be on the radio. And honestly, as we got on the radio, it never I never made the connection. Honestly. Until... A, a couple years after we were on the radio, Christine comes to me one day after service and says to me, because she was at the prayer meetings too, she heard me pray this prayer. She said, isn't it wonderful how God has answered your prayer, that he has expanded the church beyond the walls of this building? <laughs> that hit me so hard I almost fell over. I'm like, oh my God, Lord, you answered that prayer. <laughs> in a way that I wasn't even prepared to even come to terms with. He answered that prayer in a way I couldn't even have imagined at that time. And he did exactly what we were praying for. He expanded our influence beyond the walls of this building. Any given night that the radio ministry is on and the teaching is going out, we don't know if 10, 15, 20, 50,000 or more people are listening. We could never get them all into this room. And God says, that's okay, you don't have to. I'll expand the influence beyond the walls of this building. Look, don't give up heart. Sometimes we pray for things and things don't happen right away, and maybe we're faithful and we pray for years for a loved one or a spouse or for something else, and we kind of lose heart. Don't lose heart. Keep praying. But if you do lose heart, know this. God has collected all those prayers you prayed all those days. They haven't gone out of existence. They're still in heaven. They're still working. And God is often saying, look, I intend to answer those prayers, but I've got a time for everything. For everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. So God says, look, keep praying. Don't lose heart. I'm I'm listening. And I'm more than listening. I'm collecting those prayers. And so I love this. I just love to to read this and to recognize that, you know, our prayers are not, it's not a wasted exercise. God hears and he's collecting those prayers. He intends to use them in some way to do his work. Well, verse 8 says, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Notice, each having a harp. The each there is masculine in the Greek and can only refer to the 24 elders, which is also masculine in the Greek. It can't be, as some try to say, it can't be referring to and including the four living creatures because in the Greek they are in the neuter. So the each has to be speaking of the 24 elders. This is important because it means that only the 24 elders sing the song of the redeemed in verse 9. Now I'm going somewhere with this, so hang in there. But in Revelation 5 verse 9, it, it says, And they, who are we talking about? The elders, the 24 elders, sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll 
and to open its seals, for you were slain, and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Now, we need to stop here and clarify something. Most, if not all, of the newer translations at this point will have a footnote in the margin of your Bible that says something to the effect, the best manuscripts say them, has redeemed them to God. Or the oldest manuscripts say them. And what that does is it makes the 24 elders a group that's not the redeemed. Well, then, who do these folks think they are? Well, the number one consensus among post-tribulationalists, those that believe the rapture happens at the end of the tribulation period, believe the 24 elders are a special group of angels. We've already shown, we studied chapter 4, that's not really biblical. It's not really what's going on. But you see, you can't have the 24 elders represent the church because you can't have the church in heaven in chapter 5 if you're a post-tribulationalist or a mid-tribber or even a pre-wrath person. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him, day by day. Day by day.